Uh, yes, because we segued to that some time ago. Hello everyone and welcome to the 22nd episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. Happy New Year! Yes. Happy New Year. We're we're into the second year of Octothorpe. Well, not quite the second year if you count 12 months, but the, the second year kind of chronologically. Yeah, and anyone who is not using an Octothorpe-centric calendar is clearly uh, clearly a wrong one. I mean, that would be true if we only recorded two episodes, so... That would be true if we'd only done two episodes. Yeah, I mean, if we'd started, started the podcast in, like, November, then it would also be true that we'd be into the second year of Octothorpe, but I don't think it would be a particularly great achievement. I, okay, so I feel like Octothorpe was one of our reactions to what 2020 was. And so here we are in 2021, which means we have survived 2020 and 2021 will definitely be a different sort of year. It's true. We have survived 2020. And I think it is definitely true that while I know John had been talking about podcasts for a while, it took actually being stuck in his house for us to actually sit down and do it. Is that fair, John? I think so. It is difficult to argue um, with the facts, which doesn't necessarily always stop the three of us. But um, but yeah, <laughs> um. Octothorpe really um, helped me in 2020, and apparently also Claire Brawley from Croydon, who has written to tell us so. Oh yeah, that's a great segue. And I have really cemented it by noting that it was a segue, so that's good. Claire says um, that she liked episode 21. Claire made an excellent joke in her letter of comment, which was when we were discussing um, what could be nominated for a best games or interactive experience, Hugo. Claire has then thought thought about what could be in a future best interactive experience, Hugo, um, and then moved on to make a very good joke about what could be in the best inactive fan experience, Hugo. And owing to the problem several weeks ago where I read out the first draft of Claire's letter and did not correct her typo, I then emailed her to say, oh, is this a typo? And she was like, no, it is a clever joke. So I'm very sorry, Claire, for doubting um, that your clever joke was a clever joke and checking if you made a typo. But it's because I'm now paranoid about reading out the wrong versions of your letters. So I don't know, maybe you should put a deliberate mistake in your letters so I can try and spot it next time. And in that sense, Claire's locks will become an interactive experience. Ooh. Roman Olszanski wrote us a letter of comment. Uh, kind of about our discussion about interactive games. One of the things he said was, it wasn't until the podcast ended that I realised that the long game was Claire's brilliant gameplay in that by interacting with the Octothorpe creators, she has altered the tone and content of the podcast. And surely this then counts as an interactive game. And so, um, yes, Octothorpe, vote Octothorpe for best interactive experience. If you would like to vote for Octothorpe for best interactive experience, turn to page 34. If you would like to vote for Octothorpe for best podcast, turn to 41. If you would like to vote for people not self-publicising for the Hugos, please turn to 2001. If you would like to vote for Octothorpe for best fanzine, please turn to 2005. Are we eligible in best fanzine? No, we would have been in 2005, though. Hence the joke. Oh, I was really sorry. Was that a joke? (laughs) I thought it was a typo. (laughs) It was a joke. No, is it, was it 2006 that Best Fancast came in? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. 
please nominate us for several of the non-existent Hugo categories that Alison invented in the previous <laughs> section of the podcast, because it would be quite funny. Exactly. And then Dave Mansfield um, is going to nominate the space bar from punctuation for the Hugo because the Ludo narrative was much better than the rehearsed plots that have been played out beforehand. Um, so thank you, Dave. I am enjoying the number of things that the Hugo administrator is going to be like, what? What is that? And why has it been nominated? Just from like two people in the UK? I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And if Claire and Mark are helping with the Hugos again this year, I'm really sorry, Claire and Mark. On the subject of Mark, Mark sent me an email, not the um, podcast. We're going to take the liberty of, of, of mentioning something he wrote. So Alison referred to Outworld 71 in the last episode of Octothorpe. It is a fanzine. You can buy it off Amazon for the princely sum of 15 currency units. I will put a link in the show notes for anyone who would like to discover more about Alison's um, mysterious references from episode 21. Thank you for letting me know, Mark. Can I actually buy 15 currency units or is that only certain currency units? Um, it is definitely a currency unit. I forget whether it's pounds or dollars, which is why I suspect it's $14.99. Um, okay. Andrew Hogg has also asked about the uh, Discon Hugo and he asked on a Discord how it will cope with early access games and such like. So um, for those who aren't familiar, um, video games sometimes come out in an early access form where they're not finished, but you can buy them, which is a delightful mechanism of commerce, which I love. And, and so those who those who aren't familiar, so for instance, the, the kind of the best example I can conjure is that Minecraft, when it became really big in about 2010, 2011, um, Minecraft was in early access and it was only officially released quite a few years after it had become a worldwide phenomenon. And so the question is like, would Minecraft be eligible again when it hit 1.0? Would it have been eligible again when it hit beta? Um, would it have been eligible in alpha because it wasn't properly out yet? And that is actually a good question and one I intended to bring up last week, but we had been talking about the Hugo category for about 50 minutes solidly at that point, And I thought perhaps having more was, was not desirable. And and I love the fact that Mark and Claire, having volunteered to help with the Hugos and having zero interest in video games, will get to make judgments on this sort of fine detail. I was going to say that, as brought up by listener Joe on uh, a Discord elsewhere, probably the real issue here might be Stardew Valley, because that had a big patch this year, which introduced a whole bunch of new content. And it is also a game which is which can plausibly be nominated for the best video game Hugo this year. So the issue will be, <clears throat> does having a big patch with new content uh, qualify it to be kind of nominated as a 2020 game? So we're going to into all kinds of uh, discussions of how much new content was there, because it's not done as a standalone, it's not a standalone expansion or anything. It's a, oh, we have dropped the new content and there is a different farm and some and lots more content. So... Mm. No, it's interesting. I think this is the thing I'm the least convinced about by this this Hugo category. I, there is no proposal to have a hard and fast set of rules about this, which is probably in some ways very sensible because doing a hard and fast set of rules about this seems like it would be incredibly difficult because it's so woolly. But equally, I do wonder the extent to which different administrators are going to have different takes and the extent to which the fandom is going to be. One of the other things Claire mentions is a Hugo voters known for their restraint or their ability to not nominate things for the memes. Um, perhaps perhaps she has a point. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It may be that it takes a couple of years for the best interactive experience to f get into stride and 
for people to get a sense of what should and should not be nominated. I also have a tiny bit of follow-up on Best Video Game, which is that a podcast which I listened to, but which is not on the subject of video games, had a set of awards for the year, which quite light-hearted, um, which included Best Video Game. And... 44% of the nominators nominated Animal Crossing New Horizons. So I think that's the extent to which, as I suggested last time, that this category is going to be dominated by that game in this year, not necessarily in every year. I'm looking for the Upgradies website and I can't find it. Uh, it'll be an upgrade somewhere. I mean, you could, you could link to the Upgradies, but I don't think it's terribly relevant. The reason I was looking for the upgradees was because the other thing that was really interesting, which comes down to something I mentioned last episode, was that the runner-up for the game of the year was Among Us, which is not a game that was released last year because it is very popular and it, and it became very popular last year. And so I think that's the other thing we did highlight, which is Among Us is going to get votes and they're going to have to decide whether or not it counts. And I think that is actually a hard choice. And so I do... I do wonder the extent to which we need to start having conversations about, you know, these are games which are clearly going to get nominated and we probably ought to have a discussion about whether or not they're eligible in advance of, you know, the Hugo administrators who may not be particularly plugged into the video game scene making those decisions on fandom's behalf. Um, no, but I think they are plugged into the podcasts that talk about the video game scene like ours. Oh, yes. I mean, obviously, all of the Hugo administrators will be keenly listening to uh, what we say about this. Um, uh, and I will um, I will put a link to the upgradees in the show notes. Uh, Maggie sent us a letter of comment. I don't know. Do, you, do either of you know? She's just signed it Maggie of Glasgow. So Maggie of Glasgow sent us a letter, uh, again, discussing our discussion of the special Hugo category for video games. Um, and discussing also the fact that as well as AAA games being uh, quite expensive, they also, some of them require quite a large time commitment, which I think we discussed a little bit in that some AA games are incredibly long and some are quite a lot shorter. Uh, but Maggie says they have been playing The Witcher 3 for about two years now on and off and are still only halfway through. So I guess the issue there is, yeah, how many of the likely nominees are games that take an awful long time to finish. And also, if they are games that take an awfully long time to finish, how quickly do you know whether you would feel happy nominating or voting for them? Because if it's a game that I'm willing to think about 150 hours into a playthrough of, then I probably know after the first, like, 20, whether I'm thinking this is a good game I'm going to nominate. And the answer is probably yes, because I'm willing to put 150 hours into it. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think... Um... If you're reading, like the people who read, the, the people who nominated, for example, like um, the SF Encyclopedia for Best Related Work, I suspect they hadn't read the whole thing, but they had read enough of it to know that they thought it was worth nominating for a Hugo. And I, and I think the same thing will apply with longer games. Like if you're having a blast, like Spanish playing Horizon Zero Dawn, and I, I think I speak for her where I'd say if it was eligible, she would nominate it. And she hasn't seen the ending yet, but she has been playing for like over 100 hours at this point. So, um, so, so, so. I think that would probably indicate that she's enjoying it enough um, to nominate it. Lots of AA, lots of games don't have endings, and lots of games nobody ever sees the ending because there's so much content. If it has an ending, that ending should be moderately satisfying, but they're often not. They're often just, oh, this is the point where the content finished. Um, and that shouldn't that doesn't necessarily matter for games. Yeah, I would also say there are games with with 
fairly unsatisfying endings. And I'm thinking of uh, Mass Effect 3 in particular, where there was a massive campaign to get from people who wanted their money back because the ending was so unsatisfactory. And actually, I agree that the ending is not great, but it's still a pretty great game anyway. And the ending doesn't actually ruin that. So yeah, the ending is maybe not the destination as much as it is if I'm reading a novel. The ending is just a point along the way where I then go back and finish all the side quests. Yeah, and I think that gets a little bit into like what we were talking last time about like ludo narrative and and stuff like that. But thank you for a very thought provoking email, Maggie, um, uh, and and thank you for everyone who wrote in. Um, it was a bumper roster this week. Okay, so um, the uh, attentive listener may have noticed that it is 2021 now, and therefore that means that 2020 is over. So we're going to talk about 2020 as it was. So 2020, let me review the FANAC um, that happened. Um, worldwide, lots in the UK, mostly Alison. Alison, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> uh, is that a helpful way of framing I'm it? I'm not sure if it is helpful. It's not just me, but I think one of the things that happened at Christmas is that I had a party, which I might talk about a little bit separately. Um, but lots of other people in fandom also had parties, but also lots of other people who were not so connected with fandom had parties and i started to notice that the things that science fiction fandom has been doing for the last nine months to have fun online have not really percolated through the wider community and a lot of things that when people are saying oh 2020 has been appalling it's because they're not doing the things that have made it less appalling for me and for i think a lot of other science fiction fans but i i made more new friends in 2020 than i have done in any year i think since i left university and that's that's kind of not what you would expect really here it is it's a pandemic and i'm stuck in my house what am i going to do i'm going to make friends with a load of new people (laughs) i know that you feel uncomfortable um about um I think I think you are um, reticent to take all the credit, which I think is, is to your credit, because um, obviously it was not just you and I am being slightly facetious. But I will say that you have done a lot more. You have been a driving force in British fandom this year um, to an extent that I think you are slightly unaware of. I think without you, um, my 2020 would have been a lot less um, fulfilling. So thank you, Alison, is what I'm saying for making my 2020 much better okay so so that is kind but i'm i was doing this because i'm not working in a hospital or volunteering in a food bank or or changing the world by doing making big political change or that sort of thing you know i kind of was stuck in the house trying not to get sick so so it's kind of well what can you do if you're stuck in the house trying not to get sick that will be moderately helpful and it turned out that for me the answer was run parties on zoom um yeah (laughs) so i I don't know yeah i've run some parties on zoom um so it as as happens every year it got to the end of the year and people started saying it's 2021 where are my jetpacks and for those of you i did i don't think we talked about this in we might have mentioned it in the last doctor thought but um quite a lot of you will have been at and many of you will have heard of i a party that i helped run over new year's eve where we had i think 
almost 300 individual actual people from all over the world partying on Zoom for 24 hours. We had a few programme items that just kind of slipped in there, just in case 24 hours of, of just hanging out on Zoom was too much for you. And we celebrated, we had Laurie Mann finding firework displays from every time zone to display at the top of the hour and and other bits of the hour because actually not all time zones happen at the top of the hour as you'll know if you paid attention to guff and um yeah so we so 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 I feel like this is one of the most science fictional things I've done in my whole life this is one of these things where if you said to me when I was 10 oh People from all over the world will be able to get together for a drink in when you're 55. I would have gone, oh, that that's pretty cool, isn't it? And yes, we don't actually have have teleport devices or anything. But but seeing as we we're kind of the sort of people who were mostly living in our heads anyway, it, it's not such a big problem. If we were, if if science fiction fans were more visceral people, um, it might not have been as much fun. I think I've done some things in 2020, like I did um, Anna Raftery's uh, TAF trip report interviews, which were a good thing to kind of get fanish people together and kind of have a chinwag. Um, I edited a few fanzines. I did a Journey Planet, a couple of shows with Lulzine, which was which was cool. Um, and obviously, I've done this podcast, which I think has done something to kind of foster communication in in, in British science fiction fandom. And I, I flatter myself that. Um, I think all three of us contribute a lot, but I think I think probably I am I am the driving force behind this like probably 40% me 30% both of you um so like that adds up to 100 right yeah i mean i i think john's estimate of 40% john 30% uh the two of us for the podcast is extremely generous because oh it is mostly john sorry i didn't mean to say that uh, john's done a ton of stuff this year um actually yeah cuz cuz the he is absolutely the driving force behind this podcast it would not happen if it were down to me and i don't think it would happen if it were down to liz but it definitely wouldn't happen if it were down to me on account of how all of the editing and making it happen stuff oh yeah i just turn up waffle for 90 minutes try and stop you guys going wildly on t- off topic and i'm failing <clears throat> discussing the the orbit of the sun and then if if i'm very good i remember to send the file to john I think I'm just saying that I, uh, if it was down to me, this podcast would not happen because I have no concept of how to do audio editing. No, I think, I think, you know, Alison obviously became basically, uh, the party maven of the entire UK fandom. Um, and I popped into many of her Zoom meetings and her New Year party, which was very entertaining. Um, John made multiple TAF reports happen, I think, and wrote a bunch of fanzines. Um, and I didn't do very much because 2020 was a less weird year for me. And because, um, yeah, <sighs> let me think of that phrases. I've put in the show notes, Liz had a twenty chill 2020 owing to having her toned, toes done and swimming and whatnot. I did, I did do a bunch of swimming and I did have my toes done a few times. That is true. But yeah, it's partly that I had a, a more chill 2020 than many people did, for which I'm very grateful. Uh, I, I also had a very busy 2020 work-wise and also i do feel a bit of a distance because of how the earth orbits the sun and we have time zones um it 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 does feel a bit distant basically you have to kind of plan a lot more like if you want to chat to people you have to put a bit more thought and planning into it because you have to have that happen during the you know eight hours of the day when you're both awake um so i think it's a bit easier if you don't have those problems so really in terms of fanac i did not do a lot so maybe 2021 will be the year in which i do more fanac 
but let's not go too far i think um and i think like obviously i know that you are now you are in thailand as we may have covered on this show previously um many times yes and like uh alison and i are and, and we try not to get deeply into politics on this show but alison and i are in a country where it is possible that the government have not had the best ideas about how to deal with covid as covid is unwrapped around them i think that is probably a thing i can say out loud you know that we're we're in a category along with us the us and brazil that are completely making the most complete meal of this i I think that is possible to imagine anyway but what i will say is that i I, although although i appreciate like obviously um if most of your friends if you are in a country where that is not true and most of your friends are in a country where that is true it must be a bit surreal to be like well you know thailand's coped with it quite well and and i'm not too impacted but um i think um I don't, although, although me and Alison regularly, listeners, take the piss out of Liz for how Liz is allowed to go outside and have fun and we have to stay in our houses and just be, you know, sad. Um, I think in general, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you are in a place which is less completely up a creek than the UK is at the moment. And I am happy about that. Yeah, I, I am happy for all my friends that are in places where, like, where, where everything is more or less okay. And um, and I'm also, so there's some people who've been going, well, 2020 was not at all a bad year for me. And I feel guilty and embarrassed about that because I've had, and I feel like we should, there are plenty of people for whom 2020 has not been bad, including, I have to say, me. Lots of good things happened to me in 2020, um, like making loads of new friends, like running a load of parties, like discovering that 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 I was much better at being a party host if I don't have to tidy my house in order to run a party, which, you know, who knew? But Liz, you were saying you might do more fan act next year. Have you got any concrete plans or do you just feel a vague sense of guilt that me and Alison have been cooped up and so we've been lashing out creatively and you've been living a more normal life and have therefore, um, you know, been out living? Yeah, I basically just feel a vague sense of guilt. And so I have, have done what I usually do whenever I say I'll write a fanzine article for someone, which is say, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. I feel bad for not having done it, but then not do it. Um, I mean, this is partly because what I quite enjoy doing is helping run conventions. And I do enjoy helping run online conventions, but not as much as I enjoy helping run in-person ones, especially when those online conventions involve me either getting up very early or staying up very late. And I think um, the one thing we have all forgotten to mention in our FANAC is that we did run a convention. Uh, (laughs) And Liz Liz did run the convention um, It did do that, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that was another thing. <laughs> How? I actually have a set of notes. But I think I'm not. I'm not overegging the pudding. Where I think Liz probably put Liz did more work than anybody else on punctuation. Let's be clear here. Liz did the program. <laughs> yeah, I think I. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to offend Stephen. But I feel like he would. He would agree that Liz probably had the most to do in the con running. Yeah, don't you remember that Steve was just gearing up at the point where we were really, really up against it for punctuation and he got a new job? Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, Congratulations on the job, Steve. Yeah, Um, which is going quite well, I think. Um, So, yeah. Hey, that's good. No, but um, but no, Liz did Liz did an awful lot of the uh, the punctuation um, uh, uh, prep um, for which, you know, we're very grateful because it was a it was 
the bits that Liz did were very good. The bits that I did were fine, um, but the bits Liz did were excellent. So, you know, hurrah, Liz. Thank you. I think it all went well. It's very hard to tell, actually, who did... It's very hard to tell how much people have done, I think. But I guess we could go and look through all the little actions I ticked off in Discord. In my journal, I had a load of outward-focused and inward-focused things that I did in 2020. And there were five outward-focused things, which were um, the Zoom coffee mornings and the parties, all the Zoom stuff, the first Thursday and the, the... New Year party, which incidentally I did with Karen Ward and Mike Schaefer, who normally have a big in-person party. So they just invited the whole of their list, who are Calif- mostly Californians and 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 West Coast USians, to the party. To and that kind of gave it a whole lots of different people who don't necessarily already know each other, which is good. Um, Octothorpe and punctuation, um, which I think we've spoken about a bit, and the guff trip. Oh yeah, you did a guff trip. Oh yeah, you did. You did do a guff trip, <laughs> which I have. I only just mentioned sideways. I did an entire three-week virtual guff trip, and I'm writing about it. And then, and then the last thing I had down was that I've done a load of tissue paper art, which amused my neighbours and, incidentally, my friends on on the internet. It did. It was. It was very good. Yes, I think you had not made the Octothorpe tissue paper art last time we published an episode, so you should send me a picture of it so I can put it in the chapter art. I did a a number of inner growth things in 2020 as well, and the most notable of which was that about a month before everything kicked off, I, um, I decided to give up anger almost by accident. And although... Obviously, I have not always succeeded. I've given up anger in the way that somebody gives up smoking, but occasionally bums cigarettes off people. So like that. <laughs> so I occasionally bum anger off people. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say that's the logical conclusion. That That is the episode title, but bum anger off people. I don't know what it means, but... Um... <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So I occasionally discover myself having a little bit of angry rage, but I'm much, much better at going that thing where you just stay angry or become very angry or do stupid things because you're in a rage. Um, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done with that. Um, in 2021, one of my things I'm going to do, one of my three New Year's resolutions, what I posted on Facebook was to um, release an uh, issue of Lulzine every month. So Lulzine is the um, comedy-focused science fiction podcast I do with my wife, Ispania Sheriff. Um, so, and by podcast, he means fancast, but he actually means fanzine. Yes, sorry, let me start again. Uh, Lulzine is the comedy science fiction fanzine that I do with my wife, Ispania Sheriff. Um, we did four episodes on our website, lulzine.net, and then we decided that... Issues. <laughs> sorry. Cut in mid-flow there. No, no, it's, it's entirely my fault. Uh, that was a sigh of disappointment at myself. <laughs> this has to stay in. This has to stay in. Espania and I did four issues of our fanzine <laughs> on rollzine.net before we decided that doing a fanzine on a website is really quite a lot of effort and doesn't really encapsulate most of the things we enjoy about writing fanzines. Um, and so we've transitioned to a Tiny Letter newsletter. So Tiny Letter is a product that has been bought by MailChimp, which lets you do small um, 
simple email newsletters for up to, I think, a thousand people. I don't think we're going to get to a thousand people. Um, and we are doing a little zine on there. So we're reprinting the articles that we did on the um, website and we're printing new articles and we're putting some art in each, each issue. And if you'd like to sign up, there will be a link in the show notes. It comes out once a month. Um, it turns out it's much more fun doing an email um, fanzine than a website fanzine while um, getting away from... I really, I really don't like PDFs as a way of reading things. Um, and I think it was great when people were beginning to go online with their fanzines, but I think a lot of fanzines just thought, oh, we could just put PDFs on the internet and that will be fine. And and like Banana Wings does an EPUB, which is much better because you can read it on a phone and it's not like in tiny writing. And I think EPUBs mm-hmm. are great. And I did that when I was publishing Procrastinations um, way back when. And, um, and, and Alison did a fanzine or a perzine, I suppose, um, on um, an email uh, mailing list, which ran for... Th- Yes, it, it's Tiny Letter. I, I thought you were also Tiny Letter. Yes, we are, yep. Yeah, now I'm going to do... I, I was just listening to you doing talking about Lulzine, and I'm like, I don't have New Year's resolutions, but um, actually I should do some more of those, shouldn't I? Monthly sounds good. They were really good, and I think they really neatly ca- encapsulated the um, feel of a fanzine going to like a small group of people um, and the feel of the the issue by issue nature of fanzine without replicating the kind of annoying technical limitations of paper fanzines or PDF fanzines. Um, And so I I kind of feel like it would be cool if a lot more fanzines embraced email as a potential medium. And I'm surprised that more haven't. Um, But, you know. Uh, There's a problem with the this is probably a bit abstruse. There's a problem with my fanzine as it was constructed in that it was very rem- it was very um, requiring of external links. It had a lot of links in it, and you were expected to go and go and look at them when they interested you. And this is fine in terms of a thing that is current, but links break at a massive rate. So, for archiving purposes, I was very keen to have. Uh, a sort of secondary document that for me that said all of the archa- that that explained what all of those links were and meant and that's tedious so um so it kind of ended up in a it, it basically disappeared up its own arse and um and, and and I need to find a way to do it that does not involve it disappearing up its own ass. But I do have an issue. I have a third issue nearly done or something. So, you know, I could do that. That sounds like a I'm not I don't do resolutions. I have a, I'm having a yearly theme in the way that um, my lovely, lovely, lovely tech po- bloggers like and um, tech podcasters. They're not bloggers. They're podcasters. Sorry. My yearly theme is automation. I don't really have any gold for the year don't we have any fanish plans for the year i've not really a sort of like resolutions and goals for the year kind of person so maybe let's see let's see how 2021 goes 2021 i am not looking forward to the first three months of 2021 but at the end of the first three months of 21 we have an easter con yes and i am looking forward to easter con how's that for a segue then john I mean, great segue. I think all the segues segues have been great. The segues are better if we don't keep saying, isn't that a great segue every time we do a great one, which is just going to call attention to every time we do a crap segue. (laughs) Which is quite often. Okay, so EasterCon. For those who were paying attention when we started our podcast, EasterCon is a uh, national convention run in the United Kingdom every year, usually at Easter. 
Um, and there was a bid session um, at Easter last year, which um, elected the 2021 EasterCon, um, which is called Confusion. And at the time, Confusion did not have plans to go online, um, but uh, then COVID continued to happen over the course of 2020. And now EasterCon have launched their Discord this week. So who put the Discord together? Um, so I had... Prior to punctuation, I volunteered um, to put together an EasterCon Discord, and um, I kind of wanted it to go in one direction, and the committee, entirely reasonably, the committee um, slightly disagreed with me about where it should go. So I said, well, fair enough, I've set it up, um, but then I will let you administer it, and I will step down and do punctuation. And I think um, they kind of continued to tinker with it and continued to make it what they wanted it to be, and now it is up, and you can go and join, and we will put... Um, a link to it in the show notes um but yes and yes i mean i don't think it's quite as clear as it maybe ought to be but it currently has quite a small area that is accessible to everyone and then a rather larger area that is accessible to the members of um confusion and i think the other thing we should definitely make sure we have in the show notes is how you can go and buy your virtual membership of confusion if you haven't done already um I as soon as they announced virtual memberships, I joined because obviously I want to be a member of the EasterCon, but also because I had not previously joined because I knew I've been very sure for quite a long time that I was not going to want to go to a physical convention at Easter. Um, yeah, so I joined as soon as they announced. Um so I can't remember when this happened, um, but there was a point at which um, they did the refunds from the 2020 EasterCon and they opened uh, membership sales for 2021. And I got my refund from the 2020 EasterCon and immediately spent it on joining 2021. Uh, and the cost of an adult attending membership is £70 and the cost of an adult online membership is £50. Online membership rates were announced in October, um, and um, the plan is for the um, EasterCon to either be hybrid or virtual. Um, there are reports from people um, such as John Bray that their um, rooms for the convention have been uh, refunded because the hotel has told them that they won't be open. So it, it looks rather likely that EasterCon will be virtual. Um, but as far as we understand, the hotel has not yet informed EasterCon uh, that it will not be open and so there might be some more wrangling to do there um this is all coming from facebook comments and our um kind of reception of scuttlebutt so please do listener take all of this with the requisite large pinch of salt i had a memory of eastercon having announced that it was going to go hybrid or possibly virtual yes but it 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 in that announcement, which I went back and read the other day, it said we are planning for a virtual or possibly hybrid convention. So I am slightly wondering if they have edited that or if it is my memory that is at fault. But they had a lot of talking about the exciting things they were thinking of doing with hybridization. I think it always said uh, hybrid or virtual. It definitely, sa- it definitely now says virtual or possibly hybrid. And they are saying we have always planned for a virtual convention. Liz, have you bought an EasterCon adult online membership? I have not done so yet. Do you think you might? I probably will. I just sort of want to know a bit more about what they're 
planning? They have asked for volunteers, including volunteers for programme items, and they are asking us to tell us what we would like. Yeah, I just so I think I think the root of the problem is that I had a membership for um I had a membership for twenty twenty, which I was thinking about selling in February when it was clear that I was not actually going to make it to EasterCon and then uh clearly I should have flogged it slightly earlier than I did. Um because obviously then the convention was cancelled due to COVID. And I decided not to get a refund because um I felt I was happy for it to go towards like the costs of future Easter cons. And um, in, in hindsight, I, in, let me start again. I didn't ask for a refund, partly because I didn't actually read the email they sent me in enough detail to note that they said they didn't need the money to cover their costs because I was thinking they'd probably have some costs that still had to be paid due to the last minute cancellation. And uh, I thought that would help them with that. I probably should have read it because it said they didn't really need it and it was going to sort of future Easter con pass alongs. I think it has sort of tainted my view of buying a membership for the latest one because I'm like, well, last time I bought a membership and then I couldn't go and I just didn't do anything about it and I didn't get a refund. And so I essentially gifted a bunch of money to future Easter cons, which is fine. But it means I'm now in the kind of like, oh, well, if you want my 50 quid, what am I actually getting for that 50 quid? And can I have a little bit more detail on it? Because... If they have some great plans, then that's fine. But if what they plan to run is a sort of, you know, Zoom, Discord, StreamYard-based convention, well, they've got some experience now of doing that. And I know it really doesn't cost a lot of money. And I'm sure you need more Zoom licenses and bigger Zoom licenses and probably some more tech. But if we can do it for what was basically about £2 a person, then I would like to know kind of what is in the, the planning that will cost £50 a person. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've i said I know how to spend £50 a person on a virtual event. I'm just not sure it quite represents good value for money for people yet. I also need to know that what they're planning for that 50 quid will work for me, because if, if what they mean is they're going to have lots of excellent evening programme item extravaganzas, which you could you could spend quite a lot of money on that, that's nice, but I'd have to, you know, upend my own personal time zone in order to watch those, which I might not be willing to do and i think it also ties into my feeling a bit like the finances of EasterCon. i don't really have any feeling right now about how much money there sort of is in a general EasterCon pass along slash crisis fund how much we've been putting into that how much has been used by past EasterCons, um <clears throat> and whether we're just are we just sort of setting a price because it's similar to what past Easter cons have done, but we're now at the point where, say, if we're up to a regular thousand-person convention, we could make it a little bit cheaper or offer more targeted discounts or things like that. So what I think I'm saying is, yeah, I'm probably going to join EasterCon. I'm just being slightly grumpy about it. I think Boscone has got a page on its website, which we will put a link in the show notes to, which says, why is Boscone costing $25? Why is Boscone not free? And they, I think, are very clear about what it is that you get for your $25 and why you might want to spend $25 rather than having the convention be free. And I think it is a very good note. And I would like, and in fact, I asked EasterCon way back, maybe September, September, October, to, to do this roughly for EasterCon and I am and I have not really seen them say because 50 pounds is a lot more than 25 dollars for one thing um 
and and um I, I think it's a lot easier to see why a convention bike costs 25 dollars than it is to see why it might cost 50 pounds and i have not yet had any reply to that but as it was a facebook comment there's a sense in which i don't necessarily deserve a reply to it so you know if you're involved in eastcon and you're listening to the podcast then um i think i am speaking for a lot of people who quite like to know roughly not any great detail but roughly what their 50 pounds is paying for is is that fair i think that is fair i i don't know what the best way to call on eastercon to do that is facebook message obviously <laughs> i i would also like to see that i mean because i do understand that um there may well be costs that mean that they are kind of covering um the costs they have incurred running this convention for the 50 pounds they are charging in which case absolutely fair enough um and they may um be worried that some of those costs will be perceived by the fandom as kind of um costs that should not be covered by their eastcom membership so for instance if some of those costs are costs like we have incurred money that needs to be paid to the hotel then maybe they're worried about saying well part of the reason we're charging this is because we need to pay off the hotel contract um i don't know obviously that's all inside baseball and none of us know um but i i do think that although i can see a way in which they might need to charge 50 pounds for memberships i think it is reasonable to say right but why are you charging that because ultimately they are asking fans to become members at this price point and if they don't make the case that it's worth that much money they might not get that much money and you know and most fans might decide that it is fine and put down their 50 pounds but uh, i just think more transparency can't be a bad thing and so although i am sympathetic to these con that they might need to charge this much and there might be things that i haven't thought of you know if that's the case then then tell me what they are and then i'll be happy um and i think i think it is probably a fair comment but i don't know what the best way to kind of persuade them that that's the case is and this is i, mean, I don't know Alison, you'll know and presumably as you will do too do eastcons tend to publish their finances after the fact or not really so for Follycon, um we asked claire Briley and mark plummer of croydon to do our program book which they did extremely well and as part of that and not actually asked for by us claire they went round and hung the treasurers of i think 11 previous easter cons upside down by the ankles until their accounts fell out and published um and i, I just think this is a great credit to the treasurers and to the conventions and to clara mark especially and published a load of um um accounts that had not previously been published which is is good for two reasons the first is that it does tie up that accountability and show where the money went and it's not, it's not in any great detail you can't actually look and say well they paid that that's about this guest cost six thousand pounds and this guest cost 29p or anything like that it's it's very it's very high level um the things that um conventions the, the the headings that conventions choose to group accounts by are not always comparable so 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 some big expenditure chunks go into one heading rather in one account and a different heading in a different account but they are very very useful both to see what sorts of things we we think are important and what sort of things money gets put into but also the different choices that different eastercons make and they are also useful for budgeting purposes because it means that if you're thinking about 
bidding for an EasterCon, you can actually look at the budget and have some sense of where the money is going to come from, where it is going to go, and what sorts of choices you have around that. It is a it was a, a wonderful piece of work by Clara Mark. Um, it it just reinforced for me the importance of doing that, of every EasterCon actually getting to the point where it can publish accounts. There are reasons why it sometimes gets delayed for a few years, but it, it, it's it's a bit like trip reports, really. It's, it's ex- They're extremely welcome when they do turn up. So yes, EasterCons are in the practice. The reason, and the reason I'm kind of, and the EasterCons are not in the practice of publishing their budgets. Okay, so the reason why I'm so when I'm asking um, confusion to to do a little bit of publishing its budget, it's a way of saying I feel we're in we've moved into a into a different phase of Eastercon's existence, and so therefore, although it would not be normal for us to look at your budgets, we we think it would be interesting and valuable for the community to have a conversation in the highest ter- level terms, not in any sort of detail, about what your budget looks like? I think actually I'm not even really asking for a budget. I think what I'm asking for is just a bit more detail because I know what to expect from an in-person EasterCon. Um, and I think by this time before an in-person EasterCon, you'd be starting to, you know, leak a few exciting program ideas and tell people a few of what the big things are going to be that are coming up at your convention. And I don't really have a feel kind of what this EasterCon's committee are going for because there are different flavours of online convention. So I, I just want them to tell us a bit more. I mean, I suspect basically they're very busy and obviously it is a terrible year in which to be planning an EasterCon. It has been a tricky year. And it's a tricky year to try and like pivot to an entirely new mode of EasterCon going. Um, and uh, I'm really just grumpy and I will join eventually. I just want to know a bit more about what's going to happen. I think that's entirely reasonable. And I think I am hopeful that it will be good, but I am a little bit worried um, by the lack of detail. Um, and, you know, maybe that is just because they're communicating badly or maybe it's a sign of something worse. But like if it's a sign that they're communicating badly, then asking them to communicate more openly, I think, is is a reasonable um, thing to do. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully, you know, all of the many members of the EasterCon committee who, who devoutly listen uh, to Octothorpe will write in and tell us or, or you know, whatever. That would be good. They haven't email address for volunteers which we will put in our um show notes or we'll put a link to their volunteering page and they they're volunteering as far as i can tell if you are interested in being on the program or are interested in suggesting program ideas then that is also the email to write to for i'd like to be on the program or i'd like to run this thing for your program um and i have basically written them an email to this address that essentially says i will do anything please get in touch i particularly want to help with um running zoom parties because you know that's the thing i do but obviously there's a load of other things you might want me to do and i'd be very happy to help you and i will let you know at the next octothorpe whether they have got back to me but i would also suggest that my co-hosts might want to also do this and not necessarily to say they'll do anything but to say they will do the things that they would like to do or or, or help with making the things that they would like to see happen and i would also suggest that all of our listeners fill in that thing if they're interested in eastercon as i suspect many but not all of our East listeners are um yeah I, I shall say I'm a grump who has actually not volunteered for Eastercon, so I should go and think about what I might want to do. 
That was the 22nd episode of the Octothought podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. It's happened again. It was daylight in Liz's house literally 10 minutes ago, and now it's very not. No, no, because last time this was like a half an hour digression. (laughs) (laughs) If only we knew. If only we knew how the sun worked, Liz. (laughs) End of question. I spent two or three hours reading through this and discussing discussions of it and at the end i i i believe that it is a combination of atmospheric phenomena physical phenomena and the way the brain works that causes it and ah, it's very I mean, I interesting and i'll just i'll but just quickly i can't find interject. one thing that it's, oh, no, it's it, it be, turns out to be, be more complicated than all that Oh yeah, it's always it's always and any anything is always a mixture of things that happen to add up in the same way. It's like the whether or not you put milk in your coffee, like how quickly does your coffee cool? And it says oh, there's like four different processes, but they all lean the same way to combine into a notable process. Um, it turns out if you I leave was, your coffee lying around for three quarters of the hour, an hour because you're reading interesting articles about the way the sun goes <laughs> down, your coffee yeah, is stone cold no matter how you put your milk in. Um, I will also say... And your coffee uh, cools slower if you rinse your mug out with boiling water before making coffee. That makes sense. I will also say atmospheric processes are physical processes. No, yeah, but, okay, so so there was a set of things about... <laughs> no, I know. The I know way in which meant. the earth is moving. I know we had half an hour on this that you cut entirely out of the podcast. You meant, so. you meant atmospheric processes and orbital processes. I um, did, yeah. But yes. Anyway, right. I'm going to start podcasting from a cupboard so you can't see the sun. <laughs> What I love is, so I love two things about that, which is firstly, your dedication to preventing the ass and going off topic. And secondly, your dedication to not closing the curtain that covers your window. <laughs> like, because that would also work and seem more comfortable. That? If she'd like automated the process of curtain pulling, then Ooh, the curtains yes. would have But then we would know, <laughs> then we would get sidetracked by Liz, what um, fancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Liz. We're terrible co hosts. Even with also with the curtains drawn, you'd still know it was daylight outside. It's quite sunny. That's fair enough. That's fair. Anyway, on to the letters of comment. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.